0: Welcome back. I'm Andrea. And I'm Shane. And we are here with a special guest. Um, I'll introduce him first. Sure. Um,
1: Nathan Levitt is a nurse practitioner who works with Dr. bluebon Lagner in the Hans-Jord Gwies Department of Plastic Surgery at NYU Langone. Nathan is a member of the trans community and began his career working in community health education and social justice. He has worked to improve trans healthcare in many New York City health facilities and is an advocate for the continued improvement of care for trans and non-binary patients. Now he works with Dr. Bluban Blubon-Lagner to care for patients who are going through gender-affirming surgeries.
0: Yeah, Hi, that's you, your man. that's your whole title. <laughs>
1: that was a really great <laughs> introduction. Thank yeah. you. I wrote it. I really
0: enjoyed <laughs> it. Yeah. How are really you? Special. I'm good. I'm happy to be on this today. Yeah. Yeah. Today's a little hot, but we made it. It's mm-hmm. Very hot. We're here yeah. in the offices of uh, NYU Langone. So if you hear doors shutting, just just ignore them. <laughs> it's we the can't. We and can't it
1: mm-hmm. plastic surgery. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of hustling and bustling. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So I want to dive into questions. Mm. Are you ready? I think so. All right, let's do it. Okay, so we're going to start off with a little blast from the past. Uh, what were you like when you were younger? Where did you grow up? What were some of your interests? Did you have any hobbies?
2: What was I like when I was younger? So I, uh, I grew up in Florida. Okay. Not many people know that. In wow. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, Where I spent 18 years of my life, and I uh, have a younger brother, two years younger. um, And I feel like I was a pretty interesting kid. I was a a big nerd, and I was really into softball. And I went through, I basically identified all the letters. So when I was younger, I was, I think, identified as a straight girl. It's not entirely clear. (laughs) Like I was young, so who knows. Um, And then Later on, identified as a lesbian. Then later on, identified as bisexual. Then later on, identified as trans and queer. Uh, but growing up, I was I was a pretty like happy kid. I have a very supportive family, which is great. And um, got to go to the beach a lot. That was one of my favorite things. I guess my hobby was playing softball. I was really into that. Yeah. And just you know, listen to music and.
0: What kind of music did you listen to? I was
2: really into alternative music. Oh, I thought nice. I was super cool, but I was not. Did you have, like, like
0: all the posters on the I walls? I
2: had a lot of Cure posters. Love it. Mm-hmm. And I listened to like, Dinosaur Jr. Yes. And yeah, I was, like, super... Smashing Pumpkins, that was a big one. And I thought I was, like, super emo, even though I had nothing <laughs> mm-hmm. to be emo about. Like, I was pretty... Yeah well-adjusted mm-hmm. kid. Like, I
0: mean, all teens apparently. are emo. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. It's hey, just I mean. hormones in general yeah. making emo.
2: And also, like, growing up in Florida, I feel like, sort of like, the, you go to the mall a lot, mm-hmm. basically, Yeah, that's what you yeah. do. The beach and the mall. Mm-hmm. That was my life. Did you do a lot of traveling? I did. We had a lot of family trips. Uh, there's a lot of embarrassing pictures of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had um, perm bangs, but only my bangs.
0: Nice. Unclear
2: why. Like, long, <laughs> uh, wavy hair, and then perm banks, and braces, so you could get oh. a picture oh, yeah, yes. of what I look
0: like. Yeah, uh, with your cure T-shirt. Yeah, and, everything. and
2: then the the hair in the front was sort of like hair sprayed up for no particular reason.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> but it was I think it was a cool style at the time. Yeah, yeah.
0: It yeah. Sounds I would have cool. been your friend. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, why don't you mm-hmm. ask the next question? We're gonna go back sure. and forth. Yeah. Okay, so okay.
1: jumping forward. Um, before getting into healthcare, what jobs did you have? Hmm. Like, What's a little bit of your career history before this? I did a lot.
2: So I grew up in Florida and then I went to Atlanta for undergraduate, I went to Emory, and I got super involved in the Women's Center because that was sort of at the time like the way to get involved in political things. There was no LGBT center at the time. Um, and I got super involved in feminist things and women. I was a women's studies major and that all of the jobs I did related to some kind of like women's rights organizations or um, you know feminist organizations and I did a lot of volunteering around that and then it sort of morphed into doing a lot of work for LGBT youth and I started to get really involved in that work uh, all of that was before healthcare. and then I moved to Uh, San Francisco. I basically have lived everywhere. Mm -hmm. It sounds like I was running from the law, but I wasn't. (laughs) And then I did a lot, again, a lot of work with LGBT youth, a lot of like queer youth organizations, social justice organizations, like a lot of anti-racism work. Then I went to Boston uh, and did a gender and cultural studies program. So I was really into I wanted to be a professor. That was my original plan, to be a professor Mm -hmm. of women's or gender studies. And then I decided I don't want to be in academia anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I left Boston and came to New York, and then and that began the health care healthcare world because I started working at Cal and Lord Community Health Center, which is a LGBT health center in New York.
0: Yeah. What uh, What age was throughout that? Was that like a long period of time, or was it within like a it was years. sort of
2: like within a few years. I jumped around a lot. I think I was just sort of like figuring out where my place was mm-hmm. and what I wanted to do. And I really loved working on LGBT youth work and social justice work. Uh, and I still do, um, just in different ways. And I, I really enjoyed that kind of work. And I think I just it was sort of like two or three years in each place until I got to New York. And then I've been here for 15 years. So clearly, I think
0: I found my place
2: here. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah awesome how did you get into nursing specifically
2: so I I moved to New York and I was super overwhelmed because it's New York yeah and I was tr- trying to figure out like what do people do and um, I was somewhat I mean I had been out as trans for a few years and I was trying to find out like where do what are the resources for trans people and that that's when I found Cal and Lord and i uh, decided that I really wanted to work there I started volunteering there and I started working there as a community education coordinator which is really just someone that was doing trainings on LGBT health for everyone even though I was not a healthcare provider so it was actually a nice foot in the door and I started to work with a lot of nurses in doing trainings and I I started to really be drawn towards it. I really liked the field of nursing and I felt like this is a way I could help people and especially people in my community because I knew as a trans person how difficult it is to navigate the medical system and healthcare system. And so I started doing a lot more trainings for nurses and developing relationships with nurses. And within Cal and Lord, there's such a push to kind of have professional development. So I thought, I think the answer is nursing school. So I started nursing school, I took, I left Cal and Lord, ended up going back, sort of went back and forth between that place. And I, nursing school was very conservative. I think it still sort of is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was literally nothing about. Definitely nothing about trans health, but not even anything about LGB health at all. So I had to do a lot of education in nursing school. Yeah. Uh, And then I just wanted to make sure I was still connected to community. So while I was in nursing school, I was still doing the work at Cal and sort of advancing myself there and developing curriculum for nurses. And I spent a lot of my time in nursing school Developing curriculum for nursing schools yeah. on trans health, which mm-hmm. they had nothing. Hmm. So I feel like I should have gotten paid in nursing school. Right? Yeah, it sounds like
0: yeah. It. <laughs> or at least to like you know, like you just break even. You know, you don't right. have to pay for right. them. They don't right because yeah. I was doing. I spent yeah. You did so much last work for semester, them. Yeah,
2: my last semester, I did an independent study where I went through all of their curriculum, and came up with ways they can integrate LGBTQ health. Mm-hmm. I was like. Hey, thanks. I should get some credit for this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> was there ever a moment when you were just starting the nursing school stuff and you I know you said you left uh Cal and Lord for that where you were uh, like sort of worried that like maybe this wasn't the right decision because of the fact that they were so conservative or or were yeah. you like no, this is my mission. I'm going to do
2: it? Yeah, no, there were many moments I thought this was not the right decision. I mean, yeah. it, it's one it's very hard. Like <laughs> nursing mm-hmm. school is difficult and then I, I spent half of my in nursing school not being out and I went to undergraduate nursing school and graduate nursing school so by the time I was graduate nursing school I was out because it was so exhausting to be in to not be out in nursing school although I certainly respect anyone who doesn't come out because it's so such a conservative field but Mm -hmm. there were lots of questions like we had to do health assessment um history and physicals on each other and I remember that I was sort of making up stories because they would assume that I was a cisgender male, and they'd ask me questions about like when's the last time you did a testicular exam and I remember distinctly being like they asked me like how did it feel because you're trying to figure out if there's any lumps or anything and I was like I don't know it was soft and squishy I literally (laughs) made it I had no idea what testicles were supposed to feel like (laughs) and then uh, they would ask me about you know they'd ask me all these things about my body that didn't relate to who I was and so I remember making a decision either I'm going to continue to lie throughout nursing school, because this will come up a lot, yeah. where I'm just going to have to keep, you know, coming out and talking about who I am. And it was those moments where I was like, I don't know if this is the field for me, because mm-hmm. it yeah. is really tough. But I just kept thinking, this is a means to an end. Like, I can get this degree, become a nurse, and then I can help my community. I just have to get through some really tough, conservative times. Mm-hmm. and. Actually, I actually have a really funny story about another funny thing in nursing school where we had to do a role play this is before mm-hmm. I came out. And this was when everyone was talking about Thomas Beattie, who was the um, the trans man who delivered I mm-hmm. think, three babies. And oh, so yeah. It was a big deal. It was like the pregnant man. Mm-hmm. And it was all over the media. So we had to do a role play of a good nursing interaction and a bad nursing interaction. And someone I was the only man in the the entire class of nursing school. So they, somebody was like, Pick something in the media. So the person was like, "Oh, let's pick this pregnant man thing. This oh is boy. Oh, wow. so interesting. Let's do it." And then they turned to me and said, "Nathan, do you feel comfortable role playing a trans man?" <laughs> and I just remember thinking, like, I, "Am I on camera? Is this real?" Oh, no. and I said to them, "It'll be a stretch, but I think I can do." It. Oh, oh my god! god. I got I all that. these comments afterwards, like, "You didn't even need a script." you were so good. (laughs) It felt so genuine. So those were some of the things. It's called acting. Yeah, exactly. Really good acting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So yeah, about halfway in between nursing school, I was like, I have to. And then I realized I also felt like no one else is teaching them about trans health. It's hard to be that one person when you're also in school doing it. Uh, But I do think hopefully it made a difference. But it was a very tough field to be in and also have any kind of politics mm-hmm. at all. Yeah,
0: yeah. I remember going uh, to a hospital that I don't normally go to and I always get like a lump in my uh, in my throat when they go like, when was the last time you menstruated? I'm like, yeah. well, about that. Um, right. I, I don't. Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean you don't? And I'm like, Uh, and then like there's like a priest walking by. Right. Oh God, I don't know what to say. You know. (laughs) Yeah, it's rough. And then the nurse will be like, "I'll be right back," and I go, "Right. Okay, I'm gonna go leave then." Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah,
2: because you know they're going to like.
0: Yeah, they want to double check. They're gonna check their policy. Like it says F on your, you know, little wristband. I'm like, yeah. I, like there's a lot yeah. that I did for right. that. Yeah, like thank right. you. Don't right. take yeah, it I away. Mean, it's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a good point about these
2: automatic questions that you're supposed to ask as a nurse or as any medical provider that are so uh, gendered or based on assumptions about what people's bodies look like. Hmm. And after nursing school, I ended up being a nurse in uh, oncology or cancer care, which was not trans specific, but. It's interesting because there's a lot of cisgender people who have different body parts as related to cancer, right? If yeah. Had surgery, and not just cancer, but for a lot of different reasons. And so I was like, you know, we already should be asking questions differently, even if it has nothing to do with trans people, just because we don't, we don't know what's on someone's body, right? Mm-hmm. Just by looking at. Also, some cisgender women don't menstruate, so it's like yeah. these questions yeah. are not actually helpful to anybody.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it sounds like you went into nursing with the intention of like working with LGB and trans people, but how did you get specifically into like gender affirming surgery? So,
2: that's a good question. <laughs> so I did this work in the hospital for a while, um, while well, I was also, I was doing work in a hospital, very conservative hospital, and then also working at Cal Marge, so I was sort of doing two jobs, and then I... Also went to graduate school to become a nurse practitioner because I sort of decided like I wanted to continue my career and be able to provide even more care for, for I felt like there's so few positive, inf- affirming healthcare providers out mm-hmm. there, so I did that. And then I started working at a community organization doing primary care. Um, and that had a trans program to it. I was a director of trans care at Community Healthcare Network, and that I was the primary care provider there. So I was helping people with everything. And I was noticing a lot of our trans patients were interested in surgery or had had surgery, and they didn't, at least at that time, didn't have a, someone in the community that was like helping them navigate that mm-hmm. or wor- work through it. And it just felt like a field that's already so, I mean, it's a gen- it's gender-affirming surgery, but it's dealing with a lot of cisgender surgeons and other staff that may or may not be totally understanding. Or they may be understanding, but they may not be able to build that trust with patients, which I found as a patient myself who has had chest surgery, I didn't have a very affirming, it's it's Mm -hmm. interesting because it's affirming surgery, but it wasn't affirming experience. So, and I didn't feel like anyone I interacted with was, helped me feel comfortable or safe or, or develop trust with me. So, um, it was one of the Callum Lord events that I met Dr. Bubon Langner and she had just started, she had just moved to New York and she was just starting the practice here And I sort of had an aha moment of, like, Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I have been doing primary care for a long time, which is wonderful, but also exhausting. Yeah, You kind of have to know everything about everything, where Mm -hmm. I feel like I wanted to specialize, where I knew everything about one thing. Yeah. (laughs) So I met her, and I uh, really sort of really hit it off. We really had, like, similar ideas of what we wanted to do with a program. I also really wanted to be a part of building a program, Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So... I'll never forget. She had said, "I said I really want to work with you," and she was like, "All right, I think it'll take six months before we can bring you on." And I thought, "That's a random number. Like how? That's, yeah, I'm a, I can't believe that there's a random surgeon tells me six months. <laughs> right? Like, literally, probably six months to the day. That's when they hired wow. me. So yeah. it was kind of it was a long. It was a lot of fighting to get in, you know, and to get to get a position open. Mm-hmm. Um, but it worked out, and I feel like this is part of what I wanted to do and develop in helping trans people navigate a field that it's, I have all trans patients, which is pretty amazing. I've never had that before. And I hope um, I help to just at least be maybe a familiar face or someone that can kind of talk to about things that are tough. Like I think about when I help patients through any kind of surgery, but definitely, I could just think, for example, because I, I just did these education visits that we do four months before surgery, and I just did one for a patient who's about to have plasty and I was just talking to her about how when this this day that you are leaving, that they come in and they do so much, like take the packing out and do the dilation, yep, I it's a really <laughs> intense day, um, and I had, and I'm I- am getting flashbacks. Yeah, right I know, it's out <laughs> of my back, right? And I just started to say, like, it can be really intense. The experience itself is intense regardless, but it's also really intense to have a lot of cisgender surgeons or medical people come in and like, Literally take a lot of things out of your vagina and yeah. then immediately start putting something in. Right? Yeah. And that feeling can be tough but it could also bring out like past trauma or mm-hmm. other issues. Mm-hmm. Like so much can happen. Yeah. And I think anyone should prepare patients that way, but I th- I hope that there's a way that like when it comes from another trans person, even if it's not a trans person who's gone through that surgery, that maybe it can make someone feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. And so I do really enjoy working in the field. I think this is like a really great practice and Mm -hmm. um, really wonderful to see people grow in like pre and post surgery. Um, And I also get to do hormones too, now once a week, which is great too, because I like being a part of that journey for trans patients too. Mm
0: -hmm. Are
1: you also doing that at NYU?
2: Yeah, so once a week I'm doing that at not within our plastic surgery practice, mm-hmm. but within the endocrine di- um, hormone practice, which is right in the main hospital. So I'm building that practice now. So people are, we haven't really actually started a lot of outreach about it yet, but I used to do it at, at other places, and so I really like being able to provide that for people. I think a lot of patients have a hard time finding places that yeah. can be affirming, that they can get appointments, that they can right. get mm-hmm. responses oh, yeah. um, to get their hormones like in a timely manner.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's definitely places At least around here in New York City, that have gender affirming care. But the next step is actually getting an appointment. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you think about it, like, there's so many trans and non binary people in this city, or even people come outside from the city Mm -hmm. and then there's only so much capacity places have. So I do like being able to have that option, especially if you got surgery at NYU and then you can kind of have a lot of your care under one roof. So you have like your surgeon appointments and your hormone appointments, and that's all within one system, Mm -hmm. which is nice for communication
0: too. Yeah, and they do play off of each other too. We were just talking about surgeries. One of the things that people don't realize is you have to go off of hormones and then go back on hormones and your body can be affected. And anytime there is a shift, there's always going to be some type of emotional or physical change. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's really good to have that all in one place, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and actually that that's a great point because I just literally right before this talked about this to a patient, about telling a patient that they have, especially estrogen, to go off of for four weeks for yeah. um, for for bottom surgery, for, for men testosterone going off for of two weeks is not pleasurable, but it's not as long mm-hmm. as estrogen. And so I was, I think when, any, any medical person tells a trans person they have to go off hormones. Yeah. It can be really awful, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's your livelihood, and that makes it – that can really – and I'm not saying that me saying it, people are fine with it. Like, yeah. they still get upset. But I feel like what I can add to it is I, I get it. Like, mm-hmm. I know that going off your hormones is kind of awful. It can cause all these emotional effects. It can make you feel like, like that's who you are, right? right? And so I, I think that maybe that helps – Coming from another trans person to just say, yeah. that it sucks, but I can sort of validate how, what you're going through. You know, yeah,
0: that empathy piece is super important, right. you know, because a lot of times mm-hmm. you'll be in a surgeon's office and they're like, okay, these are the list of things: don't right. eat beforehand, get yeah. off a sur- get off of hormones three weeks before, and you're yeah. just like, oh, okay. And there's just right. dread in your like yeah. pumping through your veins. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And as much as like a cis provider can inform themselves, it's still different because they haven't personally experienced it right so to hear it coming from you you hope would would help
2: yeah i think so and i mean i i hope that that helps develop a relationship like i also think it's even if you love 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 your surgeon which i think dr will is amazing and people have great relationships with her that's still your surgeon and sometimes you may not feel Super comfortable sharing everything with your surgeon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So regardless of whether it's trans person or not, I think it's the value of having a nurse too Mm -hmm. as a part of it because you may feel like you want to tell your surgeon, "Everything's great, everything's fine." I mean, not our patients don't do that, but (laughs) I think that people (laughs) might feel like they could do that. But it's nice to have someone else to say, "Actually, I am even scared." Like some people. You know, in these education visits or pre-ops, people say like, I'm really scared for surgery, but I'm nervous to say that because I don't want someone to think that I'm not ready. right? Or yeah. like that they should postpone it. Mm-hmm. I'm just super scared. i yeah. Like, yeah, surgery is scary,
0: mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, well, I, our next question just like segues straight into yeah. that. So uh, thank you for <laughs> reading apparently. Um, I don't know if you can see my screen, I'm gonna turn it this way. <laughs> um, how do you want trans healthcare to evolve in the future?
2: That's a pretty big question. Mm -hmm. I know. Uh, I mean, I think that I feel like it'd be great to have more of this, like, all the care under one roof type model. Like, it doesn't matter where you are, but just that you can, because I've worked in a lot of places where it's very separate, like uh, HIV care, trans care, diabetes care, hormone care. Like, you have to go to all these separate people, the surgery, Mm -hmm. uh, but It's really nice if you have it all under one roof or, like, people are really connected to each other. Like, I see patients whose their providers don't even know that they're getting surgery, you know, or they don't know that they have mental health issues or whatever it is that they're not all connected so i think having like super trans affirming care across the board everyone you have to go to you know i spend a lot of time trying to send referrals out for patients and being really scared that i'm going to send them a place that's not trans sensitive so i would hope that the future of trans care is that like you would never have that fear that you're going to send someone out to you know uh whatever cardiologists or whoever it might be that's not going to be trans that everywhere you send someone they're all connected and and super educated and people feel like they can get the care they need without having like back I feel like a little old when I say back in my day but back in my <laughs> day like you had to have a script that you said to get your hormones like you yeah. couldn't just go oh, yeah and be like I want hormones you mm-hmm. know And we used to tell each other, like, okay, go to this person, because if you say this thing to this person, then you'll get it. But if you say, if you express any fear or have any questions, um, they're not going to give it to you. Yeah. So... It would. what I think is what would be great is that if everyone could just be their authentic selves and be honest <laughs> with all their providers and not have any fear that they're going to be gatekeeping or not allow them to have access to hormones or surgery or not everybody wants to have hormones or surgery but just in general mm-hmm. medical care mm-hmm. so like super affirming care people feeling like they could be super honest also about their bodies and they're talking about sexual health like I do a lot of trainings on sexual health and I think a lot of our questions around sexual health they're not super trans sensitive like I've had people ask me do you have sex with men women or both and if I answer men then they continue their counseling like I'm a cisgender man and my partner's a cisgender man and yeah then usually halfway in between I'm like surprise I'm a trans man my partner's a trans man and all your information was not relevant to our bodies right <laughs> yeah. so it's like so, very unhelpful yeah. so this was a very long answer of saying that yeah. I want you know people to not make these Assumptions about people's bodies that anywhere they're Mm going to go within any part of medical care is going to be affirming and they can be their true selves and, like, say, I'm scared of this or I have questions about this and not feel like that's going to mean they can't have access to it. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it'd be awesome for, like, you were saying about how, you know, sort of describing like a multidisciplinary experience where all your providers are connected. And it'd be awesome to have places like, you know, like NYU where. Everywhere where you know that at least hopefully the providers that you're going to are all trans sensitive. So even if like, because a lot of people travel for surgery, yeah. even if you're going back home and you know you're going back to a, right. a center that maybe you didn't have your procedure done there, but you know they're aware of the procedure. Because right. I know a lot of people go back home to like primary care providers that have no idea what's going on right. with their surgery, and like some of them can still be really like affirming, but yeah. they don't, they can't take care of you if you're having complications.
2: Right. Totally. I and mean, we've had patients have like phalloplasty here. And then they went, it was, I think it was Florida. I'm not proud of where I'm from in Florida because <laughs> it's mean, not a great state. But <laughs> went back to Florida and had to go to the emergency room and that they just didn't know anything. I mean, like yeah. nothing at all. They I, We want people to come back to us anyway, but you can't just pick up and fly to New York easily. So it's terrifying to send people back to where they're from and know that they might have to go, hopefully not to the emergency room, but something. And that They'll never. They literally didn't even know what that surgery was. They didn't know what to, they were looking at. They mm-hmm. had no clue. And you're already scared, right? In an emergency room, and you don't know how transsensitive it is. And then you, all your providers don't know what surgery you had. Mm-hmm. Never yeah. heard of it before. Yeah.
0: yeah, And sometimes like people just not go.
1: Yeah. Because totally. they're just
0: I don't I don't want even want to deal with that. Right. Yeah. Like I completely mm-hmm. stopped going to my child like provider yeah, all mm-hmm. together yeah, and same. my mom's like you have a cough you should just go and I'm like I don't care I'm going to New right. York like I'll take the bus in yeah. and I'll actually talk to someone that knows what's going on because I don't want to be like explaining everything to some you know person at the front desk right? like how yeah. things right work. before
2: you even get in they're like right.
0: have, have you been here before I'm yeah. like yes right <laughs> the answer is yes yeah. but no right
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly right, right. Yeah. yeah I think that that's like, I used to, when I worked at Calend Lord, I used to always say, We're envisioning a future where Calend Lord doesn't have to exist. Because mm-hmm. I remember I used to get on a bus from Boston, because at the time, I, now they have Fenway, but at the time they didn't have like an LGBT sensitive place. So I used to take a four hour bus from my hormone care to mm-hmm. New York for Calend Lord. Wow. And like, ideally, You never, you you wouldn't need an LGBT health center because everything is LGBT sensitive. So that's also, I think, going back to that question about, like, what's the future is that, like, you don't need trans-specific or LGBT-specific places because everything is super sensitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a long way to go. And I think there's also a safety and comfort in going to a place that you know is going to be sensitive and they've seen trans people before. I mean, that's always Mm -hmm. my biggest question, like have you ever seen a trans person before I go here, right? Yeah. are like, I am a healthcare provider. I do trainings on the importance of following up with screenings, and I have a horrible time going into GYN care. Mm -hmm. Like, I am way behind on screenings that I should have, (laughs) and I know it, and I know that I should be doing it, but the experience of going to a GYN provider is not great for me. Like, anywhere from, you know, I remember I I went once to a place where the registration form, they had pre checked off. They did nothing on this form but pre check off the female. Like oh. the female and male checks. Yeah. They literally went through every form and just, oh, everyone has to be a woman because they're coming for a gun in college and checked off female on every form. Wow. So I had to go like cross it out. Yeah, right <laughs> now. So, um, so so most people may not make it past that registration desk or the waiting room. Yeah. To even make it to the provider who might be great. But
0: yeah. If I saw that, I'd probably just like yeah. walk out. I just yeah. say I yeah. I I don't yeah. trust anyone in this place. Yeah. Like, nothing right, about that
2: makes you feel welcomed. Yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, is it my turn? No, no it's your I don't turn. know. We can you're, you're next. Okay, so
1: we're we're gonna move to a little bit of a different question. Okay. Um, but we wanted to ask you what the toughest part of your work is.
2: Huh. Uh, you know, it's funny. The best part and the toughest part are the same. So mm-hmm. the best part of my work is working with trans people, and the toughest part of my work is working with trans people. As someone in the community, I think that there's something really unique about. Working and living in the same community. Like, the Mm -hmm. people that I see are a a part of my community, but whether there's people I know, they're just like a part of who I am. And that is challenging sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of things that feel very personal. Like, when we have things come up for patients or like patients that have a lot of different mental health issues, as everyone can have, like it affects me, I think, in a way that it might not affect some of the cisgender people I work with. And so it's very hard to leave the work at work. And I think I think about, I mean, I always thought about my patients a lot, but this just feels way more personal. And mm-hmm. so it's like, we, you care a lot about the people who, your patients, because they're part of your community, and it's hard to kind of just let it go when you go home, right? So yeah. I think that that's not something I would change. I love that I get to work in the community, but I do think it's a unique challenge that Um, It also does make it difficult sometimes to go out in the world because I've had experiences where I was like going to, you know, whether it be a party or like the... LGBT beach, you know, that we're very lucky to have here, mm-hmm. like queer beach, then people have asked me for appointments. Like, literally oh, on the beach. Oh my yeah. god, when can I get an appointment with Dr. And I'm like, you're going to call the office on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we're not going to talk about this right now. Yeah. So that's challenging, but I also get, I don't think it's okay, but I also get that I'm i am someone that you can access. Surgeons are hard mm-hmm. to access. I don't yeah. think of all people, Dr. is not as difficult to access as most, but mm-hmm. um, when you have that person and that happens to be someone in the community that can help you get an appointment or to help you, you know, take care of something that you want to reach them right away, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that can be... Difficult, uh, but also it's like rewarding and challenging at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So our next question was, what part of your work uh, do you find most rewarding? <laughs> so um, and like, the it's question like I've seen the question, right? but I really right. haven't. And you haven't. Yeah. And then the next question after that is, how do you manage uh, being so busy? What do you do that, for self care?
2: <laughs> well, so so went to the, the beach, beach but, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but not anymore. You because <laughs> that's yeah. stressful. It sounds like too. <laughs> <Yeah. Wow>. um, <laughs> I think what's rewarding, I really love um, these like providing education for patients we we started re- restarting these surgery classes and I love them I think it's amazing to help people feel like they have the information they need for, to get ready for surgery and it's so I'm sure you all have talked about this on on the podcast before but it, like, there's so many different factors like it's clearly not just surgery it's mm-hmm. like do you have support do you have people to talk to do you know what's going to come up before and after surgery we just had a patient whom was just crying to me. She's very happy, but she was, she said, I didn't think about how much my life would change and how my relationships with people would change and how Mm -hmm. dating would change Mm -hmm. and how my relationship, my body was going to change. You know, like all of that stuff is really tough and it's really amazing to be a part of that with people and to help prepare people for these surgery classes we're starting we have patient panels and the patients love being on the panel to talk about their experiences like give back to patients which is really great Mm -hmm. so i love being a part of that i think it's amazing um i could do better self-care for sure i have a a husband and an adorable child. So I, that's really amazing. If That's you, our next
0: question. Ah, <laughs> that's our next question. I promise, <laughs> listeners, I did not
2: know about these questions.
0: That is so funny. Uh, Continue. But, yeah, Sorry. So, but
2: I think that is a part of my self-care. Like, yeah, My kid is two and a half, and going home to this kid is kind of like the best thing ever um, because they're really amazing. And so that's a part of self-care. But certainly work still comes home with me, but I think there's a way of like... Work is coming home with me, but then when my adorable child is like jumping on me, it's kind mm-hmm. of uh, I, it helps balance things. Yeah, um, I won't stop going to the queer beach, but it does. I don't get to relax as much as <laughs> I used to because it's certainly like a lot of patience, and um, but it's also like my space too. I think a lot of uh, queer LGBT medical providers and mental health providers, social workers, all of that talk about what it's like to then go out into the community. And mm-hmm. it's not, I would say it's not something we want to give up this job, but it does affect our ability to find community and like be in community because mm, yeah. you have to navigate the fact that your patients are there too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you don't want to blur any lines yeah. with that to the right. point where there's like favoritism or anything like that. You never right. want that to to trickle to somebody else where they feel like they're yeah. gonna be.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, that must be an interesting line to walk about how, yeah. like, because like sometimes like you might want to have relationships with people, not like relationships with with patients, because you're seeing yeah. them in the community as well. So right. you have to figure out how to like parse those relationships with your professional mm-hmm. relationships.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like I did. This was kind of funny, though. I did have a patient who had a chest surgery, and I saw him on the beach. But I kind of like do my own thing. Yeah. And then he came over, and he was like. I promise I'm using sunscreen on my scars. Yeah, and I was just, hilarious. it made me laugh because mm-hmm. I was like, "You don't have to report to me." Like, I also yeah. don't want to make you uncomfortable. Like, mm-hmm. relax and do your thing. I don't not like watching if you're drinking yeah, or smoking. Yeah, right? Like, right. I, I really don't care. <laughs> I'm not gonna like go report it to the surgeon. Right? Um, but it is kind of funny. So it goes both ways. So like, it might make other people a little uncomfortable too. Yeah. but it also <laughs> makes me feel like I just I actually want to relax as well.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Cool. So uh, I'm gonna skip the next question because you already answered it. Um, But well, okay, sure. No, well,
1: we didn't really talk. So we, because you did that little video about your family that was on that was circulating on the internet a little while ago. Big deal. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and it's well, I.
1: I loved it. Um, yeah,
0: I just smiled the whole time. Yeah, was the biggest so, smile. My mouth hurt after watching it. So it was so cute.
1: Um, I just wanted to know if you wanted to talk a little bit about how you're raising your child because I think that sure. you have a bit of like a unique experience with with how you're you're being a parent.
2: Yeah. So we have. So my partner and I are both parents identified. We have a two and a half year old that we are using uh, they pronouns with until such point that our kid can tell us what they want to use. Um, this sort of felt instinctively right to us. Like I don't, a lot of people ask like, oh, did you have a lot of conversation about it? We sort of just both felt like this is what we wanted to do. We both were, you know, given pronouns when we were born and those Mm -hmm. were pronouns that were used for us without us really deciding if we wanted them or not. Um, And we both went through a process of saying this isn't the right pronoun for us. Um, And we don't necessarily think like that may happen for our kid, but we just wanna create an environment where our kid can decide. Um, I think it's tough because it's such a, especially for kids, things are so gendered. And we got non-stop questions, and we still do, about Mm -hmm. like, is it a girl or a boy? And we used to say, before uh, before Zoe was born, we would say, oh, it's gonna be a surprise. Because people can deal with that answer, because a lot of, People want their gender to be a surprise or whatever, mm-hmm. so we'd say it's gonna be a surprise. But then after Zoe was born, we still said it's gonna be a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's people great. People didn't love that love so that. much. I love that. I We were like, yeah, it's still gonna. We it's don't still know. A surprise. So be a surprise. And they're like, no, what? And then I would say things like, this made people uncomfortable. I'd be like why are you asking about my child's genitalia? Because right. that's what they're yes. asking, right? Like, they're yeah, not they, they asking, really how does your child identify? Because right. my kid's a baby.
0: Yeah. But I'm
2: like, you want to know if my kid has a penis or vagina. That's, I just want you to be clear that's what you're asking.
0: Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And then
2: they're like, what? No, I don't. <laughs> that's not what I'm asking. I'm like, mm-hmm. it actually, it totally is what mm-hmm. you're asking. Yeah. And even if I told you the answer to the genitalia, that doesn't necessarily mean what gender they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's if I have a longer amount of time to talk to school. But I'll never forget, we were in a plane once, and... Our kid was wearing, like, I don't know, red or something, red or pink, who knows what it was. Mm -hmm. And this woman walked by and said, oh, what a cute girl. Like, girls are so pretty. You're so lucky. She's going to be a heartbreaker. Like, every stereotype. She's so gentle. Like, it was all of the stereotypes in one. We didn't say anything. And then when she came back from the bathroom, we had taken that sweatshirt off. And now it was like a purple shirt or blue or whatever it was. And she was so upset. She was like, "You you lie to me. You have a boy. I was like, we actually didn't say anything. Like, yeah. you put this all on. And it's just such a clear, like, people put so much right. on people. And there's all these studies wow. that show that uh, when you think a kid is a girl or a boy, you treat them differently. Like, you do. from birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in how much you hold them. Yeah. Even in how you treat them if they're crying. Like, all of that. And so we just felt like we don't want that for our kid. I mean, it's going to happen It's because it, people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as much as we can limit it from the household, like, that's what we want to do. And out in the world, it's going to be more difficult. Um, and it's interesting because our kid kind of likes everything. Like, nothing yeah. nothing has really come out that's particularly gendered and, um, they're like, all, you know, all things. So mm-hmm. yeah. I'm hoping we're hoping that this will develop, like, a kid who feels free to choose whatever they want. A lot of... So that video was, I did not know it was going to be put everywhere, Yeah. Um, but it was just a little bit, two minutes or something about how we're raising our kid. And what's interesting is that it got a lot of really awful, awful comments. Mm -hmm. You know, you shouldn't read the comments. Yeah. Especially with trans stuff. Um, But I actually got, um, people came after me on Facebook. I had to change my name on Facebook. Oh, wow. Uh, People started lifting pictures of my kid off of Facebook, so I had to like go through this whole privacy. I went off of Facebook altogether. Yeah. And granted, I also got some amazing responses of yeah. families being like, thank you so much, this is what we want for our kid, or you know, we feel like this is exactly the kind of parent that we want to be. Um, mm. But the negatives are super scary. It is. And it just made us think differently about how we put this out. Like We don't want to put pictures of our kid out mm-hmm. for these sorts of things anymore, because yeah. we have to make sure our kid's safe. But it's interesting because they'd be like, you're confusing your child and you're doing damage to your child. And I was like, what you're saying is actually way more yeah. damaging than just letting the kid decide what they want to be. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's actually, it's funny that we're, we're talking about this because just yesterday I was on the phone with my mom and we were talking about getting a present for like a baby shower, basically. Yeah. And um, my mom was like, yeah, I was trying to find something. And given like my mom's a cisgender woman you know and like she is a she has a degree in early childhood development she was she's a director of a daycare for 20 some odd years you know and she was like i had a hard time choosing something because everything was so gendered yeah everything's blue and pink right Right. you can't like get away from it so she's like I just bought a book, right? Because it's just right. there's no gender involved with it, yeah. you know. And I was like, yeah, we have to like just I don't know. We need to start like a clothing brand for children. that are just it's you know
2: it's ridiculous. It's like out of control, and people are so invested in like you like that you know when the the parents put like a bow, a pink or a blue. Yeah, red, cause they're like we need to make sure everyone knows the gender of our child <laughs> yeah, right? even before the baby has hair. Yeah, yeah. And you know, my parents were were really supportive and like raised me in a way that was. I could be any type of girl I wanted to be mm-hmm. and in that way it was like it wasn't as expansive as I am as we're raising our child but it was yeah. like you can be a tomboy you can be this but like I definitely didn't feel like a girl at all mm-hmm. um but I feel like parents don't necessarily know that because a lot of parents I talked to they're like oh well they can be whatever kind of boy or girl they want I'm like well what mm-hmm. if that's not identify, right? Yeah. And then I've also had another person say, "Well, you're just trying to make your kid trans." And I was like, "You know, what? first of all, I'd love if my kid was trans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be super. It'd be great. Mm-hmm. But I'm not at all. I'm trying to let my kid be whoever they want to be. Yeah. And if they identify as she, great. Or he, great. Or they, or something else entirely,
1: then whatever.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But people get really upset about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah.
1: But I love it. I <laughs> yeah, great. yeah. I think it's amazing. I do. Um, I really yeah. do. And I'm sure it's difficult, and st- because, like we were just talking about, everything is so gendered for for children. So yeah, I think it's great that you're sort of pushing back against that. So you're giving your child the opportunities and like the to become who they want to be, and you're not imposing right. on them. Yeah. right. And what we talk to
2: a lot of people about is it's like actually more about the stereotypes that come along with it than the actual pronouns. Because mm-hmm. like, we, you know someone said. Like they say, oh, what a pretty girl, or what a tough boy. Like all of those things are things that people say to a two-year-old, yeah. which makes no sense to me. And so the pronouns are going to happen, and we can't control that, what everyone says, mm-hmm. but it's really the stereotypes that come with it that we're trying to move away from, like you, that you could be whatever you want, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. I just, like, it gives me nightmares when you see, like, a little, like, child, and it's, yeah. like, heartbreaker, you yeah. know, or, like, mm-hmm. like daddy's those... little girl. Right, it's like, I know. There's so much, Yeah. But it's funny because we actually had this similar conversation in our ally cast, and we were talking to one of our friends, uh, and she was mentioning that like she now thinks that gender reveal parties are sort of odd, yeah. you know, and like they kind of seem like old way of thinking, you know. Yeah. It's like my like we're just happy that there's a baby, right, right, right. Like surprise, it's a human, yeah. you know. Like it doesn't have to be anything. Yeah. So. When
2: my before we had our kid, when my brother had. Um, his kid he called us and he said oh it's a girl and I said oh for now and <laughs> <Love that. laughs> I did not love that I answer love they that. were not thrilled that's great um, but it's true right like, yeah it's, you it's true. Know, and it's not even like for them I guess for now is like for them that's what they think but even, yeah. you never know mm-hmm. so it really they weren't thrilled but mm-hmm. yeah it's a perfect way to say it right? oh yeah
0: no it's, it's great because when like my mom Every time she would talk about her kids, she'd say, yeah. I'm so happy I have two boys because I don't know how to raise girls. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, mom. ruin yeah. <laughs> doing that. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. Yeah. All right. So I have another question, but this question is going to be a little bit more, um, well, this is still serious. And actually, it kind of goes along with what we've been saying. But how has our current political climate changed what you do? Uh, yeah,
2: so <laughs> I think you know it's been interesting to do this kind of work, especially because I was I I had surgery when insurances didn't cover surgery, so we had mm. to sort of all like I remember we used to all have fun. It was every weekend was a fundraising party for someone else. Yeah, none of us really had money, but we all would have these fundraising parties and help support each other's surgeries. And so then you know now. Most surgeries are covered by most insurances, which is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. So we've come a long way, and it really gives access to a lot of people. Um, and now, in the current climate, I think there's a real fear that that's going to be not only that's going to be gone, but a lot of protections for trans people that we fought a really long time to, to get. Um, and it's scary. It's super scary, especially within. I mean, it's scary for anything, but within healthcare, I think we. Yeah. I felt like I've been around for pushing. For for, to see a lot of changes happening that I'm now seeing rolled back and Mm -hmm. I never really thought that was going to happen I always thought we would just keep getting having advances right like as Mm -hmm. time goes on you just keep things keep getting better and so I find that a lot of patients come in with more fear like am I my surgery date maybe is in a year, you know, because we have consults here. The surgery could be a year, if not more, from your consult date. And there's real fears of, like, will my insurance still be covering it then? Will will this place still be around, right? Will NYU still have a gender-affirming program? Like, all of these questions because, and they're valid questions, and I can't say for sure we know the answers to all of them because we don't know what's ahead. We just, I think the hardest part, at least for me and for people I talk to, is, like, when you have someone in government or anyone that is seen as a powerful figure that mm-hmm. hates you right or that spreads awful um, messages about you that it's hard for you to feel good about yourself at all yeah so I feel like what the work we do here is helping patients feel good about themselves helping them have the bodies that they want that help yeah. match how they feel on the inside but then when they look at the political climate it's all hateful messages, right? So, yeah. how do you come out of a really affirming experience and then face the messages in the media um, about yeah. you?
0: That was um, actually one of the hardest things for me. Was um, right after I had my bottom surgery, there was that whole um, whole bunch of rollbacks yeah. in the government, and that was all over my like Facebook feed and right, everything. Yeah. So here I am trying to like yeah. recover, right. calm down, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. And then, you know, just trying to get my mind off of things. I check right. the internet and it's just full of just super scary things. Yeah. I remember having a whole conversation with my friend saying like, I think I might just move out of the US. I think yeah. it might just be the, the most safe thing to do at this point because right. They're like, I have all these, like, surgeries planned, but I don't want to rush into them because mm. I don't think I'm ready for them just yet. I want right. to, you know, see how my body reacts to it and really understand who I am beforehand. Yeah. But there's now that sense of urgency where it's like, okay, i got to quickly change my name, i got to right. quickly, right. you know, get all these surgeries done, change my birth certificate, do everything I can ahead of time, yeah. just so if something does get rolled back, at least I have some protections that I did, like, I'm almost, right. like, grandfathered in, mm-hmm. yeah. you know?
2: totally I mean I think I have the same fears like when all of this it's still happening but when all of this was starting to happening I just felt like I have to like I don't have all of my documents are changed except for my birth certificate Um, Mm -hmm. and I always felt like well one I just I felt like a lot of work to change my birth certificate but also I felt like I felt this need to have one thing that Marked the gender I was born as. Just mm. for me, I, not everybody's like this, but I just felt like if I needed um, anything related to my current body parts, like if mm-hmm. I needed a hysterectomy, I thought I should have something that some marker of that. Mm. Or if there's any kind of legal issues, like I want to have that and. Um, I'm not sure if that's a good decision or not it just felt like something i wanted to do and then other times i think and now that this is happening i'm like no i need everything to say male because i don't yeah. want there ever to be a time where they're sort of looking at mismatches of documents which is like most a lot of people have mismatches of documents oh yeah but if at any point it comes up that the birth certificate is female and every other document is male then i'm going to be flagged in some way mm-hmm. and that's really scary and so yeah. now you know i do have that same kind of fear like i need to change everything i need to make sure i have Everything done, but for me as someone that at least this point in my life I'm not interested in bottom surgery, but I have had top surgery, it also feels like that within healthcare, if there's rollbacks mm-hmm. in healthcare, like I can't hide that of my body, right? Like if yeah. I have to go to a gynecologist, I have to go to a gynecologist. Like I yeah. can't. Um or if I have some sort of, you know, emergency issue, I have to explain that to a healthcare provider. And I guess even if I had had bottom surgery, I'd still probably have to explain it because it's not something fully understood and mm-hmm. may not be something that someone recognizes. So those are fears that I have and then patients have too. Um, and I don't think it's changed our work in the sense like we're not doing anything differently in how we do that. We're still moving forward with all surgeries and the way we schedule things. But I think we just try to like give people more validation that that's an understandable fear and that we will yeah. do everything we can to make sure that it doesn't affect our practice here, mm-hmm. um, that NYU has protections and um, you know there's a lot out there that like um, healthcare care providers can discriminate against trans or any patients that they don't religiously agree with and so we just try to affirm our patients that that will never happen here. Mm-hmm. That, you know that within NYU we can only speak for ourselves that that won't happen um, but beyond that it is it is scary and it's definitely scary for people that are like in the beginning of their surgeries that may not have it for a while and are scared of things being rolled back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's it's really nice that you're validating people's fears and you're not being like, "Oh, it doesn't like that it's not it's not going to happen because right. we don't know it's going to happen." Yeah. So, moving forward is the right thing to do because of course we can't predict the future, but right. telling people that you know, we don't your concerns are valid is a right. nice thing. Um right. So we just have a couple wrap-up questions. Okay. What has been the most memorable advice you've received? Huh,
2: that's a good question. Thank you. <laughs> I wonder who wrote that
0: question. <laughs> I have no idea, but I bet she's really, really
2: cute. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's an interesting question because it makes me think of something else, a tangent, in case mm-hmm. you can tell I have Go a lot of, of tangents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was rec- I was talking to you about this, Shane, about how in my time and like a lot of trans people that are around my age, which is 41, which you all would never know Mm-mm. by looking at me, let's hope. Um, You're
0: 21. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> um, we didn't have a lot of mentors. Like we didn't have a lot of people that were older than us or had been through more than us that were helping to like teach, at least from my experience, teach us about how do you go through this world of, like, transitioning or changing your name or just being in the world as a trans person? Um, And so I remember thinking, like, I didn't have a lot of people that gave me advice. But as I started doing this work more, um, I remember I was just, I've always, you know, it comes with the territory, like, people you're concerned about what people think, right? Like, all the time, like, what people think of you, how you look. And I used to be really invested in, and there's this whole notion of, like, do you pass or not? For people that are—that's important to, um, and so I remember that this older trans person just said to me like, uh, "You should just live your authentic life." And now you hear that a lot more, but mm-hmm. I hadn't heard it at the time, and now I use that all the time because I just feel like it's—that's what like you should live your authentic life, right? Like just be who you are, and not about you need to fit into a certain box. Because as a trans guy, there were there were a lot of messages to me that I had to be like super macho and very also straight which i'm in no way and, and not also not macho um but and it didn't feel right so I'm like, mm-hmm. why did i spend all this time my life transitioning to then be something that i don't feel comfortable with and so that advice was really helpful to me and i felt like i could be more feminine as a guy than i felt like i could be as a girl mm-hmm. which is interesting i never felt like like as a girl, it just didn't feel right. And then when I felt like now I am who I am, I'm being living my authentic life, I can be more feminine and queer and, you know, not macho. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels right because I don't have to fit this certain box in order to be a man. In fact, I feel like we should be different kinds of women and men or non-binary people or something outside of that than the messages that are told to us. So I feel like that advice was like s- simple, but really real and helped me be who I am instead of trying to, like, fit into this. Because I didn't go from one box to go into another box. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel yeah. like that's what was happening. It's like, I finally decided I'm trans, and then I was like, well, this is how you should be trans. But that's not, that didn't work for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that probably comes from the fact that that was how that's, like you were saying, that script yeah. of getting your hormones. Right. You kind of had to, like, live that life a little bit just so you can prove to them. Yeah. You know, I remember hearing a story about how someone said, like, Oh, you know, I don't feel 100% male, Yeah. Uh, but they're transmasculine. Right. And they're like, well, then you can't go on hormones.
2: Right. And,
0: and when someone asks me, like, do you feel 100% female? I'm like, no, because yeah. 100%, there's not 100% right. of anything, right, first right. of all. Yeah. Um, and they all get, like, confused. They're like, what do you yeah. mean? I'm like, yeah, like... I'm way more masculine than both my brother and my dad. (laughs) You know, my mom and I are way more masculine than my my brother and my dad. Right. Exactly. Like, it's fine though. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that Mm -hmm. did make it harder for me to accept the fact that I was trans when I was trying to come out was because I was like, well, this was my excuse. Like, I'm terrible at makeup. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, putting on nail polish all the time is really annoying. Right. You know, like, I was like, and then I must not be a girl because yeah. I don't like these things. Right. And then I found out like mm, that's just it's just not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, don't you know that's
2: that. so true. I did all this work when I was when I was saying when they came out as trans and I had done all that work in like women's center and feminist work that I was getting pushback back from um, women, from cisgender women and lesbians that I was selling out by becoming a man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, then I was getting pushback from trans men that I wasn't, like, manly enough because I was super feminist. And I was like, this doesn't seem right. Like, yeah. And all, and so then I started doing all these workshops, which I should do again, on trans feminism, which I think was super helpful because it's like, there's all this hist- really amazing history of feminist work and women's work around um being different like being open to you know it used to be very centered on white women and really making sure that you focus on women of color needs and anti-racist work or like you don't there's not one way to be a woman like feminist work fought so hard so that women could be whoever they want to be um but when it became to women wanting to be a different gender it became it felt really challenging so i tried to connect to like this history work of us being whoever we want to be whatever gender like that actually helped Trans people and that help lead. So, we should really be working together, and also, trans men need to not be misogynist and like learn that that's not the type of man you have to be, right? So, I, I feel like that all kind of relates right to what you're saying is like you think you're not really trans because there's one way you're supposed to be, which mm-hmm. really the whole point of this is like we get to be who we want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's like community gatekeeping. It's, yeah, it's yeah. super totally. scary, right? Yeah. It makes no sense, right. yeah. Um, okay. Last question, are you ready? I think so. Okay, do you have any advice for people who want to get uh, to have a career in trans health?
2: Yeah, so I think that you sort of figure out like what what it speaks to you, you know? And I, I do think it's good to try a lot of different things, like figuring out, um, you know, I worked in a hospital, I worked in a community health center, I'm now working in surgery, I worked in primary care, um, to try to figure out what works best for me. Um, help volunteering or doing work with different places can really give you a sense of that, uh, and knowing that at least for me in nursing school, like sometimes it's gonna you're gonna have to go through some hard things before you get to the work you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's nursing school for me. It might be something else for someone else, but uh, whichever is, whatever sort of speaks to you about healthcare, there's so many healthcare is so big, right? Like there's education you can do there's being a medical provider there's being a nurse there's being a a PA being like so many different things and I think you just try try to find what's best for you and even I work specifically in trans care but there's also places that are not specifically trans care but you could go into and start your own kind of trans health care program so Mm -hmm. talking to other people that are doing that work and, and figuring out like what works best for you and what speaks for you I think it's the best thing to do
0: Thank you so much awesome. for being This here. was so good. Thanks. Yeah, uh, you're a great speaker. You're way mm-hmm. better than us. Yeah, you really <laughs> are. <laughs> true, okay. Yeah, it's Uh-oh.
1: very true. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to cover before uh, we wrap I up? I feel like I went over you, a lot. Even mm-hmm. more than I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> you had a lot of because great... Because you all have brought it. You're very trusting and great people.
0: Wow, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> all yeah. right. All right, well, cool. thank you for listening. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you for you. Uh, coming on. And... Uh, yeah okay
1: (laughs) thank you Bye.
0: bye thank you bye